Welcome to today's podcast with Crosspoint Church, where we share the gospel and we share our lives. With so many fun and new exciting things going on at church, we want you to be in the loop. So make sure that you check out our Facebook page and that you check out our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com. And now for today's message. Well, good morning, everyone. I have the wonderful privilege of giving the message today. <laughs> My name is Levinsky. I serve as one of the pastors here at Cross Point Church. I'm so glad that you've come to worship with us. And for those of you who are watching online, welcome. We're so glad that you're tuning in. Hey, before we get started, um, there was a gentleman. His name is Stan Shaw. He uh, came to me. He said, man, I feel like God gave me a word on forgiveness. And so, um, Stan, where are you? You're right over here. Hey, won't you stand and come over to the front and give us that word this morning? Morning. Um, woke up fairly early this morning, and God gave me a word. Actually, it's unforgiveness. Um, he was telling me in my heart, that I had unforgiveness and that I need prayer for that. And that's holding something against somebody in your heart and you need to let that go because it's not hurting him or the, her or whatever, it's hurting you. And so I'm asking for prayer and if there's anybody else in this church that needs it, ask for prayer. Yeah. Hey, thank you so much. You know, it takes great courage, it takes great boldness to, to come up here, and when you feel um, God pressing on your heart a word for the congregation, sometimes it's a little scary, like, uh, what do you want me to do, God? Like, how do you want me to say this? And, um, and so thank you so much, Stan. Can we all just pray together for that? Father God, we uh, thank you so much for that word. Um, we realize that it is good to forgive others, Lord Jesus. We know that unforgiveness is just poison in our hearts. It's not going to do us any good. And we, we know that your word says that, that, that you've forgiven us, so now we must forgive other people. We must forgive those who have wronged us. And, and Lord, we just ask that you would give us the grace, that you would give us the mercy, and that you would help us to forgive other people. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, hey, if you have your Bibles, won't you turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2? 2 Timothy chapter 2. How many are grateful for the Word of God this morning? I love the Word of God. I love that it's active. I love that it's relevant. I was telling um, a friend of mine who just started getting ready, like ready, like reading the word of God, really understanding the word of God, devouring the word of God. I told him this, this, I said, hey, reading God's word is like reading tomorrow's newspaper. It's so relevant today. It's so active today. It's the truth. And so um, I want to talk to you about something that God has been pressing on my heart for quite some time now. And I was reading in 2 Timothy, and I felt the Lord say, this is where I need you to land. I, I need you to stay right here. I need you to preach this message. And so 2 Timothy is an epistle, which is just another way of saying a letter. It's an epistle straight to the point. Scholars believe that 
the book of Second Timothy is the last letter that Paul wrote before he was executed for his faith in Jesus Christ. And how many know that when you are at the last leg of your life, when you are at the end of your life, you don't mince your words. You cut to the point. You, you, you get straight to the point. You say what matters. You say what needs to be said. You don't beat around the bush, right? And that's this letter. It's straight to the point. And this is Paul talking to Timothy. They have a wonderful relationship. You know, Paul is a spiritual father to Timothy. Timothy is a young pastor. And they just have a wonderful relationship. And so that's where we're going to land today in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Verse 14, it's going to appear on the screen behind me. It says, remind them of these things and charge them before God to not quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some, but God's firm foundation stands. Bearing this seal, the Lord knows whose, who are his, and let everyone whose names, the name of the Lord, depart from iniquity. Let's pray together. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your word that is alive, that it's relevant today. Thank you so much for your word that is for us, that it's the truth. Right now, we just ask that you would open up our spiritual eyes so that we may see the things that you want us to see. Open up our spiritual ears so that we may hear the words that you want us to hear. And open up our spiritual minds so that we may understand the things that you want us to understand. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said... Amen. Today, I want to talk to you about presenting yourself approved. Presenting yourself approved. So we start off our text in verse 14. Paul says to Timothy, remind them of these things. Who are them? It's God's people. And what is Timothy to remind God's people of? It's the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. How do you know that, Pastor Levinsky? Because few verses, few scriptures before that, Paul was talking about God's people and how they need to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. How they need to know the good news of Jesus Christ, that Jesus came in the flesh, he lived, he died on the cross, he rose again on the third day so that you, so that I, so that we can have life through him. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. If you ever hear Pastor Jonathan uh, talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ every Sunday, that's a good thing. We need to be reminded what Jesus done on the cross for us. We need to be reminded of that. But notice what, Pete, uh, uh, what Paul isn't saying. He isn't saying preach the gospel to those who haven't heard the gospel. Although those things are important, we need to go out to the four corners of the world and we need to preach the gospel to those who have never heard the gospel. He isn't saying that in that moment, but it is important, and I would agree, he would agree with that statement. But in this moment, he is saying to Timothy, remind God's people who already know the gospel of the gospel. Remind them of 
these things, it's important for us to know the context of what we're reading. Context is everything. Context tells us everything. It's important for us to know what we're reading. And, and I want to say this. Our methods may change. We may change our order of services. We may change our service times. We may end up going back to just singing hymns, and I know some of you may love that. But our message will never change. The gospel will never change. We will always continue to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because why? It's important. The gospel is everything. The gospel is everything. We will never move from the gospel. And when we get into verse 15, Paul gives a sobering warning. It's like he's waving this white flag to get Timothy's attention. And he says to Timothy, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. Everybody say approved. A worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Have you ever, have you ever been in a job where there's like quarterly evaluations or monthly evaluations or even yearly evaluations? Have you ever been in a job like that? You know what I'm talking about, right? How many love those, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, like bring it on. I love feedback, right? No, not a lot of us love those things, but how many know that when you work in an environment where there is feedback, where there is evaluations, the standards stay high, right? The workers stay diligent to the task because they know that whatever they are doing, whatever they, they, they need to do, they know that at the end of the day, they are going to get evaluated, they know that if their work is not sufficient enough and they face the boss or the leadership or the owner, they know that they are not going to be approved. And how many know that if you work in an environment where there is no feedback, where there is no evaluation, then the workers become lazy. Things don't get done. Things slip through the cracks. The bar is set low. Why? Because there's no evaluation. There's no feedback. There's no grading. There's no testing. And Paul is saying to Timothy, work hard because one day at the end of your life, you are going to be evaluated. You are going to be graded. You are going to have to be approved. And if you don't be approved, if you're not approved, then it's not good for you. What are you going to be approved on? The word of God says, if you are rightly handling the word of truth. If you are rightly handling the word of truth. Now, again, we are saved by the blood of Christ. We are saved because Jesus died on the cross. Those who believe in Jesus are saved, right? But even those who are saved will have to face the judgment seat of Christ. And we have to be judged by how we are rightly handling the word of truth. And so there are two observations that I got from this text, and it's going to appear on the screen. The first thing is this. There is truth. There is truth. In verse number 15, Paul tells Timothy what he is going to be evaluated on, and it's the word of truth. There is truth. It's not ambiguous. It's not a puzzle. It's very clear. There 
is truth. He has heard the truth. You know, Jesus said in John chapter 14, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I preached this last time I was up here. But notice what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't say I am a way or a truth or a life. No, it's singular. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Look, if you want to look, you, if you wonder what truth looks like, look at Jesus. The language that God speaks is truth. When we open up the word of God and we read the words, it's not just English words that are slapped on a book. It's the truth. It is the truth. And I want to ask you today, church, are you convinced? Are you convinced that the word of God is true? Would you put your life on the foundation that God's word is true? Would you set your anchor down because you know that God's word is true? Would you filter your decisions based upon God's word because you know in your heart that God's word is true? Are you convinced that God's word is true? Are you convinced of that? Um, I had a friend uh, up in Minnesota. He, he gave me some studies of, like, of Generation Z. And studies have shown that Generation Z consists of um, those who live, give and take, in the years of 1996 and 2012. So give and take those years. And experts are saying that Gen Z are wrestling with some issues right now. They're wrestling with some issues, the majority of them. And one of the questions that they're asking themselves is, what is truth? What is truth? And by the way, this is a question that the world is trying to answer. And so I believe that the church needs to be a part of the conversation. What is truth? They say that 65% of Gen Z believe that truth is fluid. What does that mean? It means that truth is changing. It's evolving. It's moving. It's ebb and flowing, right? It's changing. And here are three cultural myths on truth, and I think we see this a lot in Gen Z, but it's really not just Gen Z. I think that Gen Z, honestly, is just the result of the last few decades. And so number one is this, truth is relative. Truth is relative. What does that mean? It means that, that you can have your own truth, and I can have my own truth. You hear this language a lot. Like, oh, this is what you believe? Okay, well, you can believe that. I believe this. This is my truth. You can have your own truth. Truth is relative. And not only that, truth is relative in, in the way that it's different from spaces and places. What does that mean? It means that Iowa can have its own truth and Texas can have its own truth. Waverly can have its own truth, and Clarksville or Shell Rock can have their own truth. It's relatives. Number two is this. This is a cultural myth. There is no truth. Doesn't exist. And the third one, last one, is we can't know the truth. Cultural myth. We can't know the truth. And usually when people say this, and, and I've heard some Christians even say this too, we can't know the truth. A lot of times it's, it's, it's often based upon false humility. Like, who am I to even know the truth? Who am I to, to even know 
that there is truth. I, I can never know the truth. I'm not worthy of the truth. The problem with that is that Peter, James, John, all of the apostles, they never said anything about that. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth. He came in the flesh so that we can know the truth. And so don't buy into this false humility like, I can't know the truth. Don't buy into there is no truth. Don't buy into the that truth is relative, that it's always changing, that it's always evolving. Listen, if I'm speaking the truth, it better be the same truth that's being spoken out in Asia. It better be the same gospel that's being spoken over out in Africa, out in Russia or Ukraine or Canada. There's only one truth, and that truth is Jesus Christ. Amen. And number two is this. Truth can be mishandled and abandoned. Truth can be mishandled and abandoned. In verse 15, Paul is telling Timothy to handle the truth correctly because Timothy, as well as us, we are capable of mishandling the truth. If you're telling somebody to do something right, it's because they are capable of doing it wrong. We are capable of mishandling the truth. And we read in verse 17 and 18, and says that Paul calls out these two individuals who are preaching the resurrection that is inconsistent with the gospel. It's inconsistent with the gospel. He says that these people, Hymenaeus and Philetus, who once walked in the truth, they're not walking in the truth anymore. And they are leading other people astray. Remember, he's getting ready to be executed, so he's not mincing his words. He's cutting straight to the point. He's saying what needs to be said. We can mishandle and abandon the truth. And honestly, like right now, I really want to talk about like the majors and the minors. What does that mean? Like the majors are things that if you don't believe in these majors, then you can't really call yourself a Christian, right? Like Jesus died on the cross. He rose again. He took the flesh. He is God. He sits at the right hand of the Father. Those are majors, right? And then there are minors. And minors are those where... You know, Christians kind of debate over, like, are you Calvinism, like, Arminianism, and, oh, he's, you're post-tribulation, mid-tribulation. Those are minors. We're not worried about the minors, right? Listen, the minors are not hills to die on. The majors are hills to die on. And so I'm talking about the majors in this, uh, in this deal here. And, and if we mishandle the majors... We're missing it, and we're leading people astray. And Satan knows the word of God, too. Did you know that? Did you know that Satan knows the word? But not only that, he can twist the word. He can manipulate the word, and he can present it in such a way that it makes you think that you have life, but it leads to a life of destruction. He can manipulate the word. He can twist the word. I, I remember when Adam and Eve were in the garden the Garden of Eden is, was the, the best place on earth that you, can, that you can be in. And they were having a good time with Jesus. They were having a good time with God. They were in close proximity with God. They were in harmony with God. They were in unity with God. They had a great relationship with God. And then Satan comes along. And what does he come with? He comes with the word of God in his mouth. 
And he twists it. And he pesters them. And he begins to ask them questions like, well, did he really say this? Did he really tell you not to eat from that tree? Did he? Kept pestering them, pestering them until eventually they broke. And we all know the story. God knows that Satan knows his worth. Do we know that? I'm reminded of Jesus before, um, at the beginning of his ministry, he was led into the wilderness to fast for 40 days, 40 nights. He was tired. He was hungry. He was thirsty. And then Satan comes along. And what does he come with? The word of God. And he begins to manipulate the word. He begins to twist the word. And what does Jesus do? He combats that word, that mishandled word, with rightly handled word. You know, I'm, it's funny because I'm reading that passage. I read it all the time, but it's so funny that Satan would tempt the word with the word. Good luck. It's not going to happen. Church, we can combat mishandled words with the rightly handled word. You can combat mishandled truth with rightly handled truth. Did you know that ministers are capable of mishandling the word? You've heard that correctly. Even ministers are capable of mishandling the word. You know, I read a study, um, and this is, it's just really, really eye-opening. I read a study not too long ago, and it was created by a man named George Barna. And he was a direct, he's a director of cultural research in Arizona Christian University. And that's all he does, right? He collects data, he collects statistics, and he doesn't really come to any conclusion except for he just collects data, and for a couple years now, he's been collecting data, collecting surveys on pastors. And this is, these are not lay leaders. These are not volunteers. These are just pastors. And he would gather over a thousand pastors and he would ask them these questions, questions on purpose, family, the value of life, God, creation, sin, salvation, relationships, family, marriages, right? And this, this is just the top of the list. There's more to that list. And he would ask these pastors questions based upon what the Bible says and what they believe. And catch this. And as a result of that study, it shows that only 37% of pastors have a biblical worldview. 37 George Barna said that the majority of pastors in the survey, they said that they would describe their thoughts and their worldviews as syncretism. And syncretism, what that means is it's the blending of ideas and applications from a variety of worldviews into a unique but not consistent combination that represents their own preferences. 37%. And so over 60% of pastors believe this. 37% of the pulpit is biblical worldviews. How many know that that's very low? Very low. And what's even more scary 
what's even more scary, catch this, is that 12% of kids and student pastors had a biblical worldview. And so the people who are teaching and instructing the next generation, one out of 10 of them are getting them in the way of truth. Thank God for PG. Thank God for Pastor Madison. Thank God for Pastor Jonathan. I love it when you guys would come to, to the, the pastoral staff and you would tell us, man, I just love Cross Point Church. I love um, what you guys are doing here. I love that you guys preach the word of God. You guys preach the truth. No fluff. We love those things. But I can't help but to think about the world. I can't help but to think about America. Because what those numbers tell me is that culture is affecting the pulpit more than the pulpit is affecting culture. And it wasn't always that way. There was a time when the pulpit was affecting culture with actual biblical truth, when the pulpit would affect families in a godly way, would affect marriages, would affect the communities, would affect cities. They would build cities. And that's why we can't blindly accept the preaching of God's word. We ask that you bring your Bibles, that you would open it up, and that you would see for yourself that it is true, that what we are saying is true. Just the other day, I saw a video of a minister who was mishandling the truth. I mean, it broke my heart. And this guy has so many followers. He has so many people who goes to his church. And not only that, they are believing things that he is saying. And I don't know this guy, but I, I just saw it and I just thought, you know what? I need to show this video because it's, it's the real world. And so won't you cue that video up right now? But on the other hand, the answer is everyone will ultimately be saved. Everyone will ultimately be embraced by the love and the grace of God. No one will be eternally damned or separated from God. My friend Rob Bell asked a few years ago a question that was provocative. He said, does God get what God wants? And his answer and mine is yes. If God has the power to be God, if God is truly God, then God always gets what God desires. And the scriptures proclaim that God desires the entire world to be reconciled to himself. They say that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. They say that it's not the will of the Father that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. And therefore, all will be saved. All will be reconciled to God. All will be redeemed. All will ultimately confess and align their lives to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And that, my friends, is really good news. Notice the ton of scripture. A lot of scripture just in that one minute. But how many believe that if you believe that all people are saved, you would have to throw out more than two-thirds of the Bible in order for that to be true? To believe that would mean that we wouldn't have to do missions. To, mean, uh, to, to believe in something like this means that 
We don't have to tithe and give to kingdom builders. We don't have to be fishers of men. We don't have to, we don't have to do what Jesus said to go out into the world and to preach the gospel, to let people know of the good news of Jesus Christ if all people are saved. It's important for us to know the context of what we are reading. And the sad truth is that this is just one out of the many pastors that are preaching this gospel. I know there, there were a couple other videos that I wanted to share, and I'm like, nah, maybe not. They're out there. And so we have to do our part and make sure that we are handling the, the word of truth rightly. And so I want to I I read in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, because I just really felt like I needed to combat this just a little bit more. Just so then that way you know that this is true. Like Acts chapter 4 verse 12, it says, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This is a clear obvious. In order to be saved, you have to call upon the name of Jesus. In order to be saved, you have to know Jesus. You're either saved or you're not saved. There's a reality that heaven and hell, it's, it's real. It's real. And don't take my word for it. Read the word of God yourself. See that it's true. Don't take my word for it. And so I, I really want you guys to rightly handle the word of truth. And so I, I put together a, a list of practical tips, practical steps on how to make sure that you are rightly handling the word of truth. I'm good on time, so. Um, number one, don't believe anyone who quotes a text. Don't believe anyone who quotes a text. Second Peter 3, um, verse 16, it says, As he does in all of his letters when he speaks in them of these, they are... There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do other scriptures. This is Peter speaking here. And Peter is talking about Paul. If you've ever read the letters of Paul, you would know that sometimes it can get a little confusing, right? It can get a little like, okay, what are you talking about here? And there are people who are actually reading his letters and twisting it. And not even just that, but they're twisting the whole word of God to their own destruction, to fit their own preferences, to fit their own agenda, to fit their own politics. They're twisting it and making it in such a way like, yep, I believe that only because it fits my own preferences. They're taking it out of context. And so don't believe anyone who quotes a text. I talked with Pastor Jonathan earlier this week about this matter. And one of the things that he said was so profound. He said, I pray and hope that whenever someone hears me speak the word of God in front of a pulpit, I pray and hope that they would leave and open up the word of God to see that it is true. That they would test all the words that I'm saying to make sure that it matches and that it's in line with the word of God. Do your part. Open up the word of God. Read it for yourself. Number two is this. Read and understand the whole biblical narrative. In order to fully understand the gospel, we need to, we need to know the, the Old Testament. 
because the Old Testament confirms the gospel, amen? We need to know the whole entire Bible. If you haven't gotten a chance to read the whole entire Bible, what are you waiting for? There are plans out there that can guide you to even read the word of God in one year. If you wanna read it chronologically, there's plans for those too. Read the whole entire word, why? Because if you take one verse or even a whole chapter, you might be able to take it out of context. You might be able to twist it. You might be able to fit it into your own preference. And so read and understand the whole biblical narrative. Number three is pray and fast that God would give you proper understanding of his word. You're gonna open this book, you're gonna read it, you're gonna study it, you're gonna devour it. But before you do, ask that the Holy Spirit would open up your minds to understand his word. Ask that the Holy Spirit would help you to take off the blinders, your own filters, so that you may understand his word the way that he wants you to understand it. Spiritual. And the last one is this, obey what you understand and you will begin, begin to understand more. James chapter one, verse 22, it says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves we have to obey the word we can't afford just to know the word of God we have to obey his word John chapter 14 verse 15 Jesus is speaking here he says if you love me then you will obey what I command if we love Jesus we have to obey all the things that he is commanding we have to rightly handle the word of truth because we know that at the end of our life, we are going to be evaluated. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes all across this room? Every week we wanna give an opportunity of those who wanna give their hearts to Jesus, maybe for the first time, or maybe you've given your heart to Jesus and you just wanna reconnect your heart back to his. I wanna give an opportunity for you to accept the gospel. What is the gospel? Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. What's the wages of sin? Romans 6.23, it says the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Will you accept this gift of God. I'm going to count to three in a moment and with every head bowed, every eyes closed, if that's you today, I just simply want you to lift up your hand so that you can signal to me, today I am making a decision to follow after Jesus. Here we go, one, two, three. I see that hand. Is there anyone else? Let's put it down. You're saying yes to Jesus, maybe for the first time or for the first time in a long time. Is there anyone else? All right, will you stand to your feet? I want, I want to pray a simple prayer for the one person who raised his hand and for those who are maybe watching online and you're saying, man, that, that, that's me. I, I just need to accept Jesus. I've been playing this game and I need to be fully in. I wanna say welcome to the family of Christ. It's the best decision that you could ever make. 
And so we're going to pray this prayer and everyone else is going to pray with you. Pray this. Say, Jesus, thank you for being my Lord and Savior. Thank you for choosing me. Thank you for loving me. Right now, I give my life to you. Help me to love you with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind, and with all of my strength. In your name I pray, amen, amen. Come on, can we give Jesus praise for what he's done here? If that's you today, you gave your heart to Jesus, there's gonna be a number that's gonna appear on the screen. Won't you text yes to 319-250-8998. Text that number to that number because we just wanna know who you are and we wanna do life with you. We wanna go on a journey with you and, uh, and we just wanna... We, we want to know you. We want to know you. And so um, at this time, the prayer team is going to come forward. We're going to worship Jesus with one more song. And I tell you, church, go strong. This next song that they're going to speak, they're, they're going to sing is, it's powerful. I am available. I'm saying yes to you, Jesus. And so as the prayer team comes forward, if you want prayer during this song, I would encourage you, go get prayer. For those of you who gave your hearts to Jesus for the first time or maybe first time in a long time, go confess that to somebody up here. The word of God says in Romans 10, 9, that if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and you confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so confess that to somebody today. I wanna pray, pray a prayer and then we're gonna jump right into this song. Father God, we thank you so much that you are the truth. Thank you so much that you love us and that you give us grace. I pray right now that you would help us to rightly handle your truth, the only truth. We pray that you would help us to understand your word. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for being alive today. Thank you so much that you don't lead us astray, but you lead us to life. And we love you so much in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us. We hope that this message was inspiring and encouraging. For more information about this message or about all things Crosspoint, check out our Facebook and head to our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com.